Good day, one and all, and welcome to the Things to Think About podcast, where we, the eighth grade class of the Corvallis Waldo School, work diligently to find and present to you things to think about. You know, 2020 has proven to be quite a year. Who could have imagined so many changes and adjustments that have had to be made in order to accommodate our times? I saw it coming. Well, besides William. I never thought we'd begin our eighth grade year sitting at home and attending class through a computer screen. Or wearing our masks. Or keeping distance. Or watching Mr. Highfield try to figure out breakout rooms. As we continue to adjust to the ever-changing new normals, we decided to dip our big toes into the waters of podcasting. Or rather, Mr. Highfield decided, and we politely went along. This is the maiden voyage of this endeavor, and I'm sure we have a lot to learn along the way. Our goals are to chronicle our 8th grade year and report on some aspects of the things we are studying this year, like American history. And civics. And the human body. And chemistry and physics. We will learn the techniques and strategies that go along with writing short stories. As well as learning to stand upon our soapboxes and let our voices be heard. We'll also mix in some random ramblings, book suggestions. Point and counterpoints and interesting facts that will leave you something to think about. Did you know that dogs normally start sniffing with their right nostril? Then keep it there if the smell could signal danger. But they'll shift to the left side for something pleasant, like food. Well, enough with our introductions. It's time for the podcast. Sylvie. I'm Aaliyah. And I'm Katarina, and we are here today to talk about compromise. Have you ever had to make a compromise? Was it easy or difficult? Why did you compromise? Are there times when you should not compromise? Well, today we will examine these questions and many more, but we should probably begin by defining what compromise means. When you compromise, it's generally to look at different ideas on the same subject and take a few bits from each side to make one idea. We compromise to make our solutions better when fixing a problem or coming up with an idea. It also helps to compromise when two or maybe people or ideas go against each other to make one common plan. This way, each side gives up a little bit to gain a little. In other words, it's like when you were little and you and your friend both wanted to swing on the only open swing on the playground. You may have decided to take turns on the swing. This way, both agreeing to have less time swinging, you both got to swing. Yes, we make compromises each day. A time I had a compromise was actually pretty recently. So I was over at my friend Raven's and we wanted to make a smoothie. So um, I, she was making the smoothie and I was really confused because she wanted to put water in the smoothie instead of milk and I was kind of confused. But since she was making the smoothie, she got to put the ingredients in. And if I was making the smoothie, I would choose the ingredients. She ended up putting water in and it ended up tasting really good. And I love the purple goodness that she gave me. I compromised with my brother a while ago. He didn't want to watch the movie I chose, so we decided to settle with a compromise. We could all tell he was really upset he couldn't watch the movie he wanted. So the compromise was to watch the movie tonight, but next week the movie would be 100% his choice. Everything worked out nicely. He didn't think the movie was so awful, and the next week I could bear his choice. The compromise was very helpful. I am actually in a compromise with my parents right now. I got a phone this summer on my birthday. In order for me to keep the phone, my parents decided that I needed to earn it. Each month I have to do a bunch of different chores 
to make up for the monthly payments on the phone, which my parents are paying for. The agreement is that if I keep up on my chores, I will be able to keep my phone for that month. If I fall behind on chores, they will take my phone away until I catch up. It sucks, and I don't like having to do it, but that, but the, that is a compromise I made with my parents to ensure that I will be able to have my own phone. Compromise also played a major role in the creation of our country when the colonies decided to join together and become states. The first major compromise our founding fathers made came when drafting the Declaration of Independence. In the original draft, there were several statements that denounced slavery encouraged by several representatives from the northern colonies, like Ben Franklin, Benjamin Rush, and Thomas Jefferson. Wait, wasn't Jefferson a slave owner? Yeah, but it seems he knew it was wrong. At any rate, he also knew that this declaration would not be supported by any of the colonies in the South who relied upon slave labor, so it was taken out. But how is that a compromise? Well, they all knew that slavery issue would have to be dealt with. But the most important thing for the time was to gain the support of all the colonies, which was not an easy thing to do. There were many compromises that had to be made after the revolution when our founders were called back to create our new country's constitutions. This was the document that would define how the new government would be set up. One of the compromises was that the representation of the states in the government. The problem was, if there was to be representative democracy, how do you best represent each state? There are two arguments. The small states like Rhode Island and Delaware fought for equal representation by each having the same amount of representatives. This would prevent the government from serving only large states. The large states, like Virginia and Massachusetts, argued that equal representation meant that, they, that the percent of population should dictate the number of representatives you should have in the government. How did they find compromise on that one? By creating the Senate and the House of Representatives. They decided to help the smaller states maintain enough power by giving each state two senators. They gave the larger states the power by letting the house be a proportion to the number of people in the state. They decided for every 30,000 people that there would be one house member. As the population is growing today, the number of house representatives change per state. This is why the census every 10 years is so important. Of course, the compromise led to another problem. If the population counts for the number of representatives the state has in the house, who gets counted in the population? What's the problem? Just just count everyone in the state. The problem goes back to slavery again. What an awful mistake. I agree, but think about the time. The southern states relied upon slave labor for a major portion of their entire economy and way of life. Slaves made up more than half of their population. If the slaves in these states, who were not considered citizens and didn't have any rights, but were still counted in the population numbers, the southern states would have much more power in the House of Representatives. But how did they compromise that one? With what is now known as the three-fifths compromise. This compromise counted slaves as three-fifths of a person. This meant that it lowered the actual population count on the southern states that had slaves, but still gave them some representation in the House. Of course, now we know this was an awful thing to count people less than 100%. There were many more compromises that had to be made in the Constitution in order for us as new states to truly come together as one nation. These days, people don't seem to compromise as much as they need to. Everyone seems to be locked up into their own viewpoints and beliefs, even if they are not well-researched or supported by any facts. I agree that people don't research what they're saying enough if someone says a bold statement without backing it up with facts. I don't know how to counter these statements if not 
not knowing if they're true or false. Our country lately has become so political and very, very biased. If everyone could at least see the other side's views from an impartial standing point, maybe, just maybe, we could have a better and possibly more peaceful world with love and care. When you are even slightly fair or impartial, you have the power to change the world with compromise. Yes, this world is so political these days, and it's ruining good relationships, even with the closest of friends, destroying communities and making it worse for our children because of our examples. The fact that people become enemies because of one unalike opinion is very sad. Can you look at life from a slightly different angle? Can you change the world by listening to opposing views, keeping flexibility under your own views and having a willingness to compromise? Well, that wraps up this section of the podcast and hopefully gives you something to think about. Hi, my name is Sebastian. And my name is Miles. And we're here to tell you why Steph Curry is better than James Harden. Going into next season, the Warriors and the Rockets will both be two powerhouse teams in the Western Conference, with Steph Curry and James Harden leading the way for their respective teams. If you were choosing someone for your basketball team, and one of the players had won three championships, and the other hadn't won any, don't you think you'd be more likely to choose a player with the championships? For all those people in the sports world who say Steph Curry's trash compared to James Harden, we're here to prove you wrong. Because when it really comes down to it, Steph Curry is better than James Harden. In Curry's career, he is a six-time All-Star, a two-time MVP winner, and has won three NBA championships. He also holds the record for the most three-pointers made in a single season at 402. When Steph Curry came into the league, the Warriors did not have a good team. He brought them up and made them one of NBA's greatest dynasties. People always say that Curry just had really good teammates. While that's true, they forget that he worked really hard for them. None of the great players would have wanted to come to the Warriors if they were not a good team. But Curry made them a team that great players would want to come to. Meanwhile, when James Harden came into the league, his team had Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant both who were future MVPs, and still, their team never got to the height of the Warriors. Now, James Harden is a great basketball player. He has led his team to the playoffs many times over the past couple of years. But still, with no championship and not even a single finals appearance. He has played with some of the best players to ever play the game, and still, with no title. You could say he's just not a good player, but I don't think that's it. Because he has been named MVP before. It's the leader mentality. You can be an unbelievable player with great teammates, and you might not get anywhere in your career. Curry was able to make people around him better by putting their strengths to use. Harden hasn't found a way to do that yet. Now, attaining the knowledge you have, don't you think the choice is quite obvious? You want the player that will make you better. You want the player that will make your team better. And really, you want the player that has won three championships. Like I said before, when it really comes down to it, the choice is quite clear. Steph Curry is better than James Harden. Hello, my name is Michi. Welcome to the podcast section we call Books for You. Have you run out of books to read? Looking for another book to add to your reading list? Well, you should listen up. For today, I'm going to give you the suggestion for this week. The book is called Arrows of the Queen by Mercedes Lackey. It's part of a trilogy called Arrows. This is the first book. 
is about a girl who comes from a small remote village near the edge of the kingdom, Valdemar. This is pronounced Valdemar, not Voldemort. They are two completely different things with completely different views and opinions. This girl is then chosen by the companion Roland, who takes her away from the village in all she has known. Talia must then complete her training as a herald, all the while trying to train a gift very few people know about. This arrangement could turn deadly for Valdemar, who has many enemies that would love the chance to disrupt the kingdom, and Talia has just become their new target. No one knows who this enemy is, and worst of all, they fear they may have already corrupted the heir to the kingdom. This book is very easy to get lost in. Mercedes Lackey is this amazing author that can draw the reader into the world. The complexity of the world keeps you interested, and the way she paints it is amazing to think about. The book has a good flow to it, so while there is character development, the story keeps going at a good pace through it all. I would definitely recommend this book to an older audience. I would say teenager age would be good. It's classified as young adult fiction, so it definitely has some concepts that are harder to grasp. I hope you look at the book and try it out. It would really be worth it. I'm Max, and I'm here today with my friends. Paisley. Rowan. Matthew. And William. Today we will be doing Random Rambles, Spooktober edition. We will be listening to some Halloween fun facts. Well, as a fun and spooky story at the end. This Halloween can't, can't quite be the same as it has always been. I'd like to offer you some online spookiness. Stay tuned for Halloween Rambles. Halloween all started as a pre-Christian Celtic festival called Salyman, which means summer's end, held around the 1st of November. It was celebrated the final day of harvest and crossing of spirits into the other world. People in Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Northern France would ward off ghosts by lighting sacrificial bonfires and, you guessed it, wearing costumes. Back then, it was known as guising in Scotland and Ireland. Young people dressed up and asked for food or money in exchange for songs, poems, and other tricks. Today, the tradition has morphed into children getting dressed up and asking for candy. When the Irish fled their country in the 1840s due to the potato famine, they brought their Halloween traditions with them. By the 1920s, the holiday and mischief had reached an all-time high. Some believe the community-based trick-or-treating became popular in the 1930s as a way to control the excessive pranksters. In other news, this year will be the first Halloween in 19 years to have a full moon. Full moons on Halloween are pretty rare. The last time there was a full moon on October 31st, it was 2001, and before that, it was 1955. The next one won't occur until 2039. In fact, the 21st century will only see six full moons on October 31st. It is also a blue moon. This means that there are two full moons in a month, and that is very rare, hence the phrase once in a blue moon. Okay, boys, gotta wrap it up. But, Max... Okay, okay, two more. Fine. Did you know that Illinois produces up to five times more pumpkin than any other state? The land of Lincoln has more than 15,000 acres devoted to grow, grow, growing. According to the United States Department of Agriculture, those Illinois farming farms typically grow more than 500 million pounds of pumpkins annually.
and candy corn was originally called chicken feed. The Golitz Confectionery Company sold boxes with a rooster on the front in order to appeal to America's agricultural roots. The sugary recipe has gone largely unchanged since 1880s. And did you know that back in the old days, they used to carve turnips and squash instead of pumpkins? I said two more. I know, I know. I'm done now. And now we wrap up the random ramble section of the podcast, a Halloween story to set the mood of Spooktober. Story of Stingy Jack. As the tale goes, a man called Stingy Jack invited the devil for a drink and convinced him to shapeshift into a coin to pay with. When the devil obliged, Jack decided he wanted the coin for other purposes and kept it in his pocket alongside a small silver cross to prevent it from turning back into the devil. Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition he wouldn't bother Jack for one year, and he wouldn't claim Jack's soul once he died. The next year, Jack tricked the devil once more by convincing him to climb up a tree to fetch a piece of fruit. When he was up the tree, Jack carved a cross in the trunk so he couldn't come down until he swore he wouldn't bother stingy Jack for another ten years. When Jack died, God would allow him into heaven and the devil wouldn't allow him into hell. He was instead sent into the eternal night with a burning coal inside a carved out turnip to light his way. He's been roaming the earth ever since. Began to refer to this spooky figure as Jack the Lantern, which then soon became Jack the Lantern. Thank you for coming to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed and come back next time. Well, that's a wrap. We wanted to thank you for listening to our first Things to Think About podcast. We are the eighth grade at the Corvallis Waldorf School, and we hope we left you with some things to think about. See you next time.